1: If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com.
0: Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great
2: tasting all natural supplements that actually work crafted with premium plant-based ingredients their products have no seed oils fillers or artificial nonsense it's just pure goodness in every pouch try them out and actually feel the difference today visit symbiotica.com and use code iheart for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order again that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order go to symbiotica.com that's dot
1: com. disruptors they rule the world and we don't even know it But guess who will let you know all about that? The one and only Dana White, the man running the UFC. He's up next. No mercy. First things first, this is about truth telling. I have no agenda. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey,
3: here I come. You can book it. Oh. this is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breathtaking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that's what it takes. I push the limit till it breaks. The heart of the brave, the soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up! Welcome! <laughs>
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to week number two of the newest podcast flies podcast on the planet right now. The one and no mercy with George truly, the one and only Stephen A. Smith. Thank you for joining me as always. Always appreciate your time, the time that you give me and what have you. Um, This is a lot of things that I wanted to get into this week. I'm looking forward to having on one of the great executives in the business the head of the UFC, the face of the UFC, Mr. Dana White. He will be on in just a few minutes, and I can't wait to talk to him about an abundance of things because I've always been interested in talking to him. And it's perfect that he's going to be on today's show because today's show, the thing that I wanted to talk about were disruptors. There are people in this world whose reputations precede them. Individuals who say what they want, they conduct themselves and act unapologetically. You hear their names, and instantly, almost instantaneously, you think, hey, they're arrogant. They're loud mouths. Hey, I call them rebels. We all call them disruptors because that's in the end what is exactly what they are. People who are changing or have already changed the world because they didn't give a damn about what you, me, nor anybody else thought. Now, I'm different from a lot of people. Because I like. them, People say they like disruptors, but the reality of the situation is a lot of times they do not. They want you to go along and get along. And I can be guilty of that from time to time, because, you see, I think big picture. I think marathons instead of sprints. And I'm not for instantaneous gratification at the expense. Of misery that can last. A hell of a lot longer. I'm not about that. I want to be happy longer than I'm miserable. I want to be productive longer than I'm unproductive. I want to be successful longer. Than I'm unsuccessful. And so when I see people walking down a path. That's going to potentially get in the way. Of what they're doing. I don't neutralize. Nor do I try to negate. Or dismiss what they're trying to do. What I try to do is make sure they're mindful and cognizant of the fact that this could cost you. That way, once you make a decision, you know exactly what you're doing and you're willing to accept the consequences. See, there's a difference. There's a difference. When you just operate full of emotion and you're not plotting plotting and planning and strategizing and you just want to go gung-ho and be willy-nilly about it and you want to call yourself a disruptor. No, that's not what I consider a disruptor. A disruptor to me is somebody who wins despite their unwillingness to go along to get along, despite their unwillingness to follow the status quo, despite their unwillingness to be conventional in their thinking and their actions. That's not emotion. That's somebody who strategically goes about the business of making a choice. A choice. That obviously could lead to that could be to their detriment. But they take the risk anyway. Because the specter of the reward that lies at the end of the road is so great. We can't ignore it. And they're willing to say, hey, I'm a bet on me. Ladies and gentlemen, I got a podcast now. In case you didn't know. This is Stephen A. Smith you're listening to. I got a good job. I get paid some decent dollars. I'm on national television. I work for the mouse as in Mickey Mouse. It ain't safe for me to be doing a damn podcast where I'm going to be talking about politics and news and current events and, and pop culture and entertainment. The list goes on and on. You're talking to talking to somebody that's talking to anyone from musicians to actors and actresses to politicians to activists. You don't know what the hell I'm going to engage in from podcast to podcast, day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. You have no idea, and you know why? Because neither do I. I have no clue. I have no clue. But I'm willing to do it anyway. It's a risk. But I see a reward at the end of the tunnel. If I'm successful at it. And it's a risk myself and my team are willing to take. And I got news for you. I got a few examples. I ain't alone. I'm hardly innovative in this thinking. A matter of fact, I'm the dude late to the damn party. I should have done it years ago. Now, there were mitigating circumstances that prevented me from doing so, but that's none of y'all business right now. The point is, it's been a challenge to get to this point. But I look at some of the names and it really resonates with me. LL Cool J, my very first guest on this podcast, he took risk. You see where that brother is now? From Hollis to Hollywood. But is he good? Yes, he is. Hall of Famer, star actor, entrepreneur, businessman. He's a star. Snoop Dogg, you heard him Friday. You heard his story? This brother was considered a pariah, self admittedly a gangbanger. And you got advertisers out the wazoo. Coming after him to a point where the only person you see with more endorsement deals than him right now is Shaquille O'Neal. By the way, Shaq will be on at some point. He's going to come on because I'm his boy. That's why I ain't even asked him yet, but that's my man. He'll come on. Then I think about some of these other examples that my researchers were kind enough to put down on paper for me. Because I just want to read them all to you. Because damn it, I'll be damned if I knew him off the top of my head. Elon Musk. Know that name, right? Wants to colonize Mars. Founder, CEO, and chief engineer at SpaceX 2018. Musk shocked listeners on Joe Rogan's podcast. When he smoked some weed during the damn interview. That's a disruptor. You ain't supposed to be doing that. He did. Now, he was late doing it because Snoop did it. Snoop beat him him to it years earlier. But you get my point. Invented PayPal, CEO and product architect of Tesla Incorporated, founder of the Boring Company. Estimated net worth, ladies and gentlemen, two hundred and fifty four point six billion dollars. As of September of this year, my brother, my friend, the great Charles Barkley, a.k.a. the round man of rebound an absolute superstar in the world of television hey some people say I am and even I have to concede I ain't Charles Barkley I'm a bit different than him I speak a little better Charles knows I got love for him so I can get away with saying that y'all can't but I can okay I think I would be a better gubernatorial candidate than he would be since he wants to run for the governor of Alabama someday no I would be better even in Alabama, I'd be a better gubernatorial candidate than Charles Barkley. But that's beside the point. He's a disruptor, ladies and gentlemen. 6'4 power forward, shorter than most, but still capable of outplaying taller and quicker opponents throughout his career. Brother had it all. Hall of Fame career, never won a championship. Wasn't his fault. Kept running into Michael Jordan. Ran into him at Phoenix. Ran into him when he's in Philadelphia. I mean, it's a problem. Michael Jordan was just a problem. So be it. But Michael Jordan can't compare to Charles Barkley on television. That brother got a voice. So much so, I don't know if him and Michael Jordan will ever be friends again because he had to call Jordan out. You don't do that without talking to Jordan first now. I'm telling you from experience. Got to call that brother. But that's a different subject for another day. George Steinbrenner, remember him? Passed away in 2010, if I remember. I'm a huge diehard Yankees fan lifelong. I grew up in Hollis, Queens, New York City, 10 minutes from Shea Stadium, the old stadium where the New York Mets played. It didn't stop my father from preventing us from watching a Mets game until I turned 18 because our home was a Yankee home. And even though he passed away 12 years ago, more than 12 years ago, still my favorite owner of all time, won seven World Series and 11 American League pennants, 1973 bought the New York Yankees for 8.8 million dollars, In 2022, the Yankees are worth $6 billion. Fired manager Billy Martin five times. Even after the man won the World Series in 1977, George Steinbrenner didn't give a damn. Media excoriating him, saying, what the hell is wrong with you? The man's psycho. He didn't care. Got ejected and exiled from the sport of baseball because you know something? He hated Dave Winfield so much, a man he called Mr. May, because he felt like the man didn't produce in October like Reggie Jackson in a candy bar. I'd earned him a candy bar, rather. George Ryan went so far as to pay a gambler $40,000 just to spy and dig up dirt on Dave Winfield. How can we talk about disruptors and leave out Muhammad Ali, former heavyweight champion of the world, two years after winning the title in 1964, changed his name to Muhammad Ali from Cassius Clay because he said Cassius Clay was a slave name. Refused to be drafted in 66, found guilty of draft evasion and stripped of his boxing titles. Remember that? After all that controversy, after all that vitriol, after being denied the opportunity to work in his chosen profession and earn a living for himself and his family, all the things that he went through. Viet Cong never called me, you know what? After all he went through. In 1999 was named Sportsman of the Century, the great promoter of top rank, Bob Aram, did not support Muhammad Ali's choice at the time, but in recent years stated, when I look back at his life, I was blessed to call him a friend and spent a lot of time with him. Ladies and gentlemen, you never heard the name Mark Shapiro? Mark Shapiro is the president of William Morris Endeavor Agency. Did you know? Mark Shapiro is the man that hired me at ESPN in 2003. Did you know he hired me when practically all of his direct reports said, we don't need him. We don't want him. He's not our cup of tea. He's not our kind of guy. Mark Shapiro said, I ain't never seen anybody that universally despised. Nobody wanted you here. So he brought me to ESPN. He was the man who hired me. And even though he's the president of an agency, he now represents me. Because that's how far we go back. We've got agents. I got super agents like John Rosen and Josh Pye represent me. Got to give them love. But I wouldn't be at that agency if it wasn't for Mark Shapiro. That's my guy. By the way, why would I call him a disruptor? It ain't just because of me. He was a production assistant at ESPN in 1993. He was responsible for the production of the documentary Sports Century. It was a retrospective of people and events that shaped the face of sports over the past 100 years, over the previous 100 years, 1997 to 1999. He was the executive producer of the series, received an Emmy and Peabody Award, as well as an Excellence in Sports Journalism Award. This is the guy, Marshall Shapiro, I just told you all about. Ladies and gentlemen, he was a senior VP and general manager of programming in 2001 and then executive VP for programming and production in 2002. When that happened, the brother was 32 years old. At age 25, he was the youngest producer ever at the network. Less than a decade after the first six month contract, at 32 years of age, he was running all of ESPN. That's the man that's the president of WME right now. Mark Cuban, 5.7 billion selling this company to Yahoo, bought the Mavericks for $285 million. You know Mark Cuban. He don't play. He don't mess around. And I covered Allen Iverson too. I covered Allen Iverson. For the first seven years of his career, he was with me and I was with him every day of an NBA season. You want to talk about Mavericks? You want to talk about people that march their own beat? The tattoos, the corn braids, and all of that stuff? That's Allen Iverson. Them baggy shorts that Fab Five, Jalen Rose, and those brothers brought to the equation? Allen Iverson took that to another level. Looked like he had on damn stockings for crying out loud. That's how long them damn shorts were. He didn't care. Not always the wisest decision, but a good brother. Barack Obama! Did you think I'd forget him? How could we? 2008, the first black man to ever become the president of the United States of America. Now, I know you don't view him as a disruptor. After all, he was smooth. He spoke eloquently. He had incredible composure. The greatest looking first lady I've ever seen in my life. Beautiful family. No controversy. Perfect. Flawless. Flawless, unblemished record as it pertained to his behavior. You wouldn't view him as a disruptor. Until you're reminded. He's black. This is America. And no other individual in the history of the presidency. Was anything other than a white man. I call that disruption. It's tinkering with and altering the status quo. And until Obama, white men being the president of the United States, was the status quo. Obama's presidency gave Hillary a chance. Remember, she won the Democratic nomination. Who did that before her? Not only was he a disruptor in and of himself, he facilitated her being a disruptor. He has to be on that list, too. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd be remiss in neglecting to mention the former president of the United States, Donald Trump. Why would I bring up him being a disruptor? Certainly not to celebrate him. But to tell you that in some people's eyes, as in 74 million plus people's eyes, he deserves to be celebrated. Because they voted him for presidency of the United States. And that was that was four years after. They gave him over 63 million votes. Well, he got the 63 million votes plus and he won the election, 65 million plus actually, and won the election in 2016. In 2020, he lost it even though he got 74 million votes. Why do you think he got those votes, ladies and gentlemen? Did he ever articulate himself in a way that said to you he's a master of politics and the issues permeating our country? What he did was say to you, I can't stand these damn people in the nation's capital and I'm coming to disrupt the status quo. That's why he got elected president. That's why people are walking around right now acting like even if Ron DeSantis, okay, who's a governor, but seems to be aligned with his thinking. Even when Liz Cheney voted with him 93% of the time, even though you got a guy like Ted Cruz who voted for him, who voted with him 92% of the time. That's the guy. Tens of millions of Americans can't seem to do without. Because they love the fact that he's a disruptor. Say what you will. But here's the reality. Far more often than not. Particularly in this day and age. Disruptors seem to know how to win. They seem to know how to win. And guess what? Dana White prides himself on being one of those individuals. You know who he is. You know he runs the UFC. You know that he invested like $2 million and now it's worth about $9 billion. You know who he is. Dana White will tell you to kiss his ass just as quick as he'll tell you hello. It's who he is. And I'm willing to bet my bottom dollar he ain't about to change. If you don't believe me, I'll ask him for you. Next. Right here. On no mercy. Stick around. Don't touch that dial.
3: This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock like my lifeline until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon stop me, high? Who gon stop me high?
1: With me right now, I, I I guess you could use the word fascinating. He's a fascinating individual to say the least. What you don't know about him makes him even more fascinating. In the 20 years as president of the MMA company, the UFC, Shepherd at the Entity, out of the fringes of the sports world to essentially setting record gates. And for pay for, by the way, for pay-per-view vibes with every new event, by the way, the incomparable, some would say the unmanageable, but I don't give a damn. He's my brother, the one and only Dana White, the head of the UFC. What's going on, big time? How are you, man? What's up, buddy? Congrats on your new podcast. I appreciate it. And thank you for being a guest on this show. I'm trying to get where you at, Dana. That's my line. That's my line to you. That's my opening line. I'm trying to get where you're at. The last thing you needed was another job, buddy. This is crazy. (laughs) This is madness. I got you. I got you. We're sitting here today, right now. It's the year 2022, and in our wildest dreams, thinking back to the 90s or whatever, we would or even at the turn of the century, we would have never imagined the UFC being in the place that it is today. How do you feel about where the UFC is right now?
2: Yeah, when 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 me and the Fertittas got together in the beginning, we believed that this could be what it is today. We believed that it could be global. We believed that it could be mainstream. We believed that it could be on free television. We believed that someday possibly ESPN would cover us, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it it, it all happened. We were right. Thank God.
1: Dana, when you say that, I I, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and again, you had senators, you had congressional elected officials that were against you. How did you have that belief knowing how they were feeling about your sport at that particular moment in time? Just 20 years ago.
2: Yeah, well, at the time, you know, once we started to dive into it and look at this thing, not just the, uh, the sport itself, but the athletes who compete in the sport, we believed that this thing could be big and could be mainstream and that it was so much more exciting than boxing um, if it was presented the right way and packaged the right way and done the right way and, uh, and more importantly, regulated by the Athletic Commission. So we believed that if we, we, we did all those things that this thing could be really, really big. The question is, was the timing right? And the answer was Mm -hmm. timing was absolutely right because boxing was on the decline. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that's been very good to us is technology. Streaming, social media, these type of things have been big for us.
1: Now think there. Now we're talking about two thousand and one for a lot of people who don't remember. You had two investors. You had the fatigues. I mean, you're talking about two million dollars. It's now worth nine billion. Now every businessman in the world and woman in the world wants to know how the hell you go from two million to nine billion. I mean, give us that. I mean, what 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 kind of advice would Dana White bestow upon us about how to pull something like that off?
2: Well, when you think about it, um, again with technology with streaming. And and the world has become a much smaller place over the last 20 years. Sports rights have gone through the roof. I mean, um, you look at teams that were paid uh, paid for 20 20 years ago that were worth Mm -hmm. 200 million that are now worth 4 billion. Um, Yeah. And uh, some of those teams don't even make money. It's that's right. Crazy. So
1: yeah, I mean, we, we basically built a new sport. UFC event. UFC 278 extended the company's record to 23 consecutive sellouts. How much of a role do you think what some would argue as the demise of boxing? How much of a role do you believe in any way that may have played in how successful your sport is at this moment in time?
2: Yeah, there's there, there's there's no doubt, but but even with, with the demise of boxing, they could both live together. I mean, we, we could both be here. You know, you see, when they put on good fights, when they do the fights that are supposed to happen, the fights that they should make, the fights usually do well. Um, you know, the, the, the difference between us and boxing is that we built a brand that, first of all, it's way more exciting. If you ever come to a live UFC event as one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting, sporting event you will ever see, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two... We built a brand that the fans trust, that they know Mm. they're going to get great fights. Um, They they know they're going to get what I call holy shit moments, where everybody jumps out of their seat and screams, holy shit. You get two or three of those a night. And Mm. like we've proven many, many times, when bad things happen with the card, we always figure it out and we always deliver. It's just become a a a a a brand that fans trust.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because as for those I've told you this privately to your face uh, and I'll say this over the public airwaves, I sincerely mean this. I'm not just blowing smoke. I think in the year 2021, 2020, you know, when the pandemic hit and, and, and the sports world was ravaged, what you did for the sports world continuing to throw events refusing to capitulate and cave to this notion that we all just got to sit at home and just wait for things to subside and wait for the government to tell us when it was okay to get back to business you refuse to be one of those individuals and I believe you should have been sportsman of the year 2020 and 2021 I told you that to your face and I I firmly mean that and then UFC 279 comes and I'm watching this kid uh, uh, Nate Diaz. He fights Tony Ferguson. You switch that event, okay? Because Cosmo, I, I keep forgetting how to pronounce this guy's name. Shamaev. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Shamaev. All right. I'm, oh, Shamaev. I'm, I'm like, yeah, Shamaev. 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 Right. And I'm sitting there like this. You switch the event like 24 hours before they were they were supposed to fight. Only Dana White would do something like that. Well, Talk other, to me the, about the that. The other what thing happened. we did, too, is
2: the, the, the time we had a problem with John Jones here in Nevada, uh, you know, right around Christmas, we moved the entire event from Vegas to Los Angeles, put tickets on sale again, sold out, and had the fight there that weekend instead of in Las Vegas. It's what we do. The establishment will never, ever let me be Sportsman
1: of the Year. That will never happen. Believe me. For as long as I'm around, it will never happen. Dana, let's get into you on a personal level. And I, and, and I want I wanted to interview you because I want to talk to people about you and the man that you are and why you have came to be the way that you are. What do people what, – what is it that people do not know about Dana White that Dana White would love them to know?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the, the stuff that people know about me is what I allow them to know about me. I You know, a lot of my personal stuff I keep personal. Mm-hmm. And there's some personal stuff that I'm probably too uh, o- open about. But, uh, you know, uh, I, the, the thing with me is that there's lots of people that talk smack about me that don't mm-hmm. even know me. There's people that say things about me that that aren't true. Some people say things about me that are true. Um, I don't care what people think. I, I, I really don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I know who I am. Uh, the people who are close to me know who I am. And uh, that's good enough for me.
1: But see, I don't ask that question from a probing perspective more so than from a motivational perspective, because you got a lot of people out here that are very, very strong physically in a lot of different ways, but might be weak mentally because they can't take the shrapnel of criticism. They don't have that quote unquote alligator skin. And sometimes it's great for people to know how some of us develop that, Stephen A. You take criticism all the time. So damn what well, you know, I'm trying to kiss my ass in the heartbeat. You know, you know how I am, right. okay? And so, and so that's what I love about you. how has that developed? How has Dana White developed that over the years, or is this something you've always possessed? Yeah,
2: I did. Uh, you know, when when I was young, uh, you, you remember you remember Cap'n when we were young. That that was yeah. big, that was big in, in high school. And we used right. to do a lot of it, and I liked right. it. I loved it. Some people would get destroyed by that mm. and and couldn't handle it. I always liked it. I, I and I'm one of those guys. You know, when I'm hanging around with the guys, we all ball bust and 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 you know, you got to have thick skin to be in in, in my crew. Period. But but right. I've always liked that, and and I also believe I'm I'm a big believer in free speech. So. Mm. Everybody has an opinion. Like mm-hmm. you and I know each other very well. We like each other. We respect each other. Yes, We sir. are friends. So, yes, we are. Um, and there's other people that I run into that I don't necessarily feel that way about. And, you know, we might do an interview, we might whatever, but we're never going to be friends. And, and mm-hmm. I, I, I don't mind that some people don't like the way that I am and don't mm-hmm. like some of the things that I say. This is America. It's your God-given right not to like me. And if you want to talk about me, it's you got that right too. It, it
1: just doesn't bother me. What do you define as friendship? When you talk about you and I are friends, but some people right. you will let interview you, but they'll never be your friend. What's the definition of friendship today to why? The difference between, it, like, you and I don't
2: just get on, oh, I got an interview with Stephen A. Smith. So we get on the phone. We, we get on the thing. And then before it starts, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Uh, weather's good. Yeah, good to see you. Then you <laughs> do your interview and we hang up.
0: Really? You
2: and I have moments where good things happen to you and I reach out to you and I give you a call and say, Hey, good luck. Bad things happen to you. And I reach out and say, Hey Steven, you good? You this, that bad things have happened to me. And you reach out and you say things to me. First of all, we're both very busy guys. We got work family and all kinds of other bullshit that we're doing in our life. Right? Yep. The guys who take some time out from that stuff, and reach out and say, how's it going? This and that, good. Hey, maybe we'll grab a bite to eat when we're in, we're in, uh, you know, somewhere. Because let me tell you this, I don't eat with anybody, okay? Mm-hmm. When I go to dinner, I go to dinner with people that I want to go to dinner with, and that's it. I'm at a point in my life where I'm not doing some bullshit dinner with somebody that I don't want to sit down and have dinner with.
1: Do you find yourself at this point in time in your life where we can sit up there and talk about the cynics, the critics, et cetera, et cetera, but I'm talking about enemies. Do you find yourself with Having grown from the in the enemy category because of your success, I find myself in a situation, Dana, that the higher class. That's one of the reasons you call me. You sit up there going, like, "Hey, brother, it's gonna be all right." They're coming at you for a reason. It's because right. you're doing something right. You're one of the first people to tell me that. Is that because that's exactly what your experience is?
2: Yeah, I love enemies. Enemies. I love enemies. I love haters. I love all those guys. I I embrace it. Um, it motivates me. Uh, There's nothing I love more than squashing haters and there's nothing I love more than real competition with somebody who is, uh, you know, you've seen it with me throughout the years, whether it's, um, I'll give you a perfect example. Sure. Oscar De La Hoya. Okay. Okay. Oscar De La Hoya and I were friends and I'm promoting Mayweather versus McGregor. This guy comes out. I've promoted some of his fights before. He's, he's told people, hey, watch the UFC tonight. I've gone to mm-hmm. his fights. He's coming to my fights. We would talk behind the scenes, whatever it was. Um, I respected him as a fighter and, and, and everything else. This he's guy comes fighter. out, and he says, do not watch May- Mayweather versus McGregor. This, this, this fight is a, is, is a, is a sham. It's, it's a disgrace to boxing, all this stuff because he doesn't like Mayweather. Right. Wow.
1: The fact, not thinking about you, you not thinking about the fact that you would,
2: that you would even do that to me is just beyond crazy. So then, I mean, I was on your show. I went in with details and got into it about him and everything else. And just recently he came out and said, I want to squash this beef. I made some mistakes in the past things. I shouldn't have said, I said, you know, and all this stuff. Which I believe was sincere. I believe he sincerely right. means that. But you right. and I can never be friends again. It's just never mm. going to happen. So you can we'll forgive.
1: This and we will never be friends. So you can forgive. Yeah. But you can't be. For- You're saying there's a difference between forgiving and being friends again and restoring what you once had. A hundred percent. That doesn't mm. work. That'll never happen. Now, what about now, – now, we, we, we live uh, in, in a country with a lot of God-fearing individuals. What about somebody that looks at Dana White and says, okay, you're a child of God, Dana. What about forgiveness? What about what, what about showing some love in your heart and just, and just forgiving and let bygones be God bygones and just return back to the good old days? What about that, Dana? It doesn't – it's uh, it's not even inside
2: my DNA to be like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not wired that way. Once you screw me, you've
1: screwed me, and that's a wrap. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, we will never be cool again. You know, I'm li- I'm thinking about that, and I remember reading up about you and how you weren't just, uh, 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 you know, you 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 boxed when you were younger. You know, I mean, you were actually actually teaching boxing classes. Is that true? That's true. Really? Yeah. So I mean, I mean, did you aspire to be a boxer when you were younger? Well,
2: yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I, I was so into boxing. It's it's all I thought about. All I cared about. And everything else. And it's funny that you say that because some of my detractors, that's what they try to use to say, oh, he was a boxing instructor. If this didn't work out, that's what I'd still be doing today. I love doing that. It was one of my one of my favorite things that I've ever done in my life. And, and, and I wouldn't take any of that back. So, yeah, it's one of the things that people try to use, like when they're trying to say, oh, he was a boxing instructor. Yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. I was. And that's what I'd be today if this didn't work
1: that's right people see you around and i and i, I want to bring up this the dana white contender series i mean the goal of the series is for dana the scout talent similar to ultimate fighter similar to, uh, you know none of the fighters involved uh will have existing ufc contracts and licensed separately from the ufc we know all of this stuff but i bring that up dana white because i ask you this question you you know you you you're not you're not some skinny puny dude like like yours truly i mean you, you're a big boy dana and 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 obviously if you had boxing skills that means you're you've got boxing skills and there have been numerous times where we, we've come across fighters and what have you that look like they want to put their hands on you have you ever found yourself worrying about something like that have you i mean yeah, and to be clear you do hang out with some brothers that are far bigger than you and far <laughs> and look far more vicious than you do yeah. so that's not wise on their part but do you ever find yourself wondering about if they even thought about it they, they, they'd be wise to think otherwise no it,
2: it it's like what I was talking about earlier too. you know, in this business, we say a lot of mean things to each other. There's a lot of mean things that are said this is a rough business. and uh, you know I, I've had some run-ins with some fighters and uh, no I've, I've I've never worried about that it's it's just not something you know i'm I'm not afraid to to get physical it's 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 not something that I that that I fear and 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 you know, a lot of these fighters, You know, talk a lot of smack, but at the end of the day, these guys are really good people. These aren't guys that just run around assaulting people and they're good guys. You know, they get fired up sometimes, they get emotional, they talk trash, they do this, they do that, but most of these guys are, are very respectful and very good human beings.
3: This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock like my lifeline until I flatline, I push it to the red line who gonna stop me high? who gonna stop me high?
1: I also read that you were once interested in being a boxing promoter I'm actually happy that you're not doing that me too. because the bottom line because the bottom line is you have far more control over the UFC than you would ever have over the sport of boxing educate us as to why that is. How are you able to have the control over your sport? But no one can get control over the sport of boxing. Can you educate us about that? Well, I'll tell you this. I haven't told anybody
2: this yet. Uh, this is the first time I'm talking about this. But literally just did a deal. Mm. I don't know if the deal is signed yet, but the deal has been laid out to start playing around in boxing. I'm going to start signing fighters, and uh, you know, it's, it, it's going to happen within the next several weeks. And
1: nobody's rooting for you more than me on that one. The sport needs you
2: desperately. I'm serious about that. I really mean that. Well, thank you. And th- the reality is, is what we did is we came in and, and, and we were able when we took the UFC to build it from the ground up. So what you do is you, 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 you build a league, much like the NFL, Major League Baseball, and you, you, you build all these stars inside the league. We, sp- we started from the ground up and built these guys into stars and built the league at the same time. And what it did too, was we spread the money around, you know, there's not just five or six guys that are making all the money. You know, we have 700 guys under contract now, you know, and people cycle in and out throughout the UFC and all of these guys are getting paid. You know, you hear stuff about, Oh, they don't pay and this and that. If you lay us out side by side, with boxing and some of the other, I, you know, it's funny. I was looking the other day, you know, all these people are always talking about what guys get paid. I was looking at what, you know, the highest paid hockey players make. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And it I is. was, was I talking to you? I was talking. No, them. it wasn't. It
1: wasn't I, to yeah. me. It wasn't to me. Not about the hockey. No, not no, about okay. the hockey. My, my head of, <laughs> my head of I got you. <laughs> and
2: and, and, and my, my head of social media, we, we were all here okay. and I was looking at the TV. I go, look at what that guy makes. That guy's one of the highest paid guys in the NHL. I said, this guy, this guy, this guy, and that guy make way more money than that dude does. You know, and I'd never say it because I don't, what drives the media crazy is that I don't tell people what they make. You know, it's up Mm -hmm. to them. If the fighters want to tell what they make, they're more than welcome. I mean, they, they
1: talk shit about everything else. Yes, Why not? Right. Why not talk about what it's, they get paid? It's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I'm putting myself in in very dangerous territory here. But you know, I don't care uh, because I've defended you on this. I mean, I, listen. It could go back to the days of Tito Ortiz to Randy Couture to Chris Cyborg, to George St. Pierre, a whole bunch of fighters, modern day fighters, the John Bones Jones, the Francis Ngannou now. The, you've had a multitude of fighters over the years complain about paying the UFC. And here's my position this is what I hold on to. Because I remember one time I was actually going to call you about it. I'm going to say, I was going to call and ask you, Dana, do they have a point? But then you went up on a press conference, looked the media right in the eye, and you said, This is a business. This is my damn sport. I built this, excuse me, and I'm telling you, we're in here to make money. We're paying them fairly, et cetera, et cetera. But your popularity tells you something. Everybody ain't damn Conor McGregor. You said it. And I was like this. He's right. He's right. I want you to talk about real quick people coming to you with those storylines, those narratives, and, and how you feel about it.
2: Well, and the other thing is, is that we don't talk about um – um you know, a lot of the stuff that we do with, with the fighters and, and, and where they get paid and how much they get paid, um, you know, we, we, we don't do a lot of that. I, I, it's none of your business at the end of the day. And, and, and the truth is, if the fighters want to talk about how much they get paid, they're more than welcome to. Lay it out. Lay, any of these guys, lay out. What, what, what did you make all in on your fight on Saturday night? You don't ever hear them telling you, Right. Mm. You can say, we're underpaid. I only made this much money on, on, on this fight. They see what's get, what's put out publicly. But, you know, behind the scenes, I've told a couple people what some of these guys have made, and they're like, holy shit. Mm. I
1: had no idea. Forget that. Forget that for a second. Because I was. say, let me read something here. Because this is something that I wrote down specifically because I wanted to make sure. You're kind enough to bring me to your facility. Take me for a tour of that state-of-the-art facility in Vegas. The building contains more than 50,000 square feet of production space, over 70,000 square feet of office space, opened in the wake of COVID and not being able to hold events, held season three uh, premiere of Dana White's contender series there, by the way. I'm I'm looking at all of this and, and I say to myself, OK, is Dana White ever going to explain to people what Mark Cuban once did? Mark Cuban said he went he went out and said, so you have any idea how much it costs to keep, put the lights on? You have any idea how much it costs to host an event? You have any idea what that overhead is like? People want to talk to you about what they made. They're not thinking about the expenses that come along with everything. Have you ever, ever felt compelled at any point just to go the hell off on people by explaining that reality that people tend to forget from time to time? Well, you're absolutely right. And When you think about it, we're the ones that have been
2: um, you know, building this sport, the sport that exists right now that people are playing – You know, you know, you got different promoters all over the world, and that people are competing in what was built by us with our money and our investments that we made all over. France, you know how long it took us to get into France? Who do you think paid for that? Bellator? Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) Then uh, when we got into New York, what it cost for us to get over those hurdles to get sanctioned in all these different places? We're opening these performance institutes for the fighters. Um, You know, where these guys come in. And and, and they can train, they get free physical therapy, free supplements, free food. We open one here, we open one in China, we're opening one in Mexico, and then we're opening one in Africa. You know, there's so many different investments we've made in the sport, and I could go on for days, but, you know, these are the kind of things that I'm always like, when when they start, it's just like, it's it's, it's none of your business. Just sit back, shut up, and watch, and, and, and look at what we do over the next several years. You know, when we first bought this company... We had like 14 contracts. So the old owners of the UFC, which the, the sport was going into the, you know, it, it was taking a nosedive and going to go away. We got it sanctioned. We got it real. We, we, you know, we spent all this money and built this thing up to what it is. You know, th- then we had hundred fighters under contract. Then we had 200 fighters under contract. Now we have 700 fighters under contract and all these people are making money and taking care of their families. And in five years, it's going to be 1200 you know, and then it, it just, this is what you have to do to grow a sport. You have to reinvest back into the sport. And, um, you know, and every year we continue to find new ways to uh, create more revenue for the fighters.
1: It says in my research that at one point, 70 percent of your fighters were college educated. See, unlike a lot of the boxers out there where, you know, this is what you're involved in a pugilistic sport and you're wondering what they're going to do if they're not fighting any longer. and You make this money while you can. When it comes to your sport, you got a lot of guys that are college educated from athletic programs. And there's a future beyond the UFC. Do you look for that quality in your fighters at all?
2: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, this is one of those opportunities. I always say that this is an opportunity here at the UFC. You come in, you make a name for yourself, you become famous. Some people will make millions of j- Conor McGregor's sitting on a yacht somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> Doing his thing. Right. Th- th- then right. you got somebody like Ronda Rousey. Look at what she's done, how she changed her life. And she'll tell you, too, c- coming out of, you know, the Olympics and all this stuff, she was – you know, sleeping in her car and, and, and all that stuff. She's a very wealthy woman now, right? Yeah. Then you'll have people that'll pay off their house and maybe get a nice car and have a couple bucks in the bank. And the list goes on and on. But then you're gonna have guys who never make it. And, you know, those, those people that don't make it are usually the loudest. They're the ones that, oh, it's somebody else's you know fault uh, that I didn't make it. But every year, you know, we, 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 try, to, we try to create more revenue for these guys. In, in 2022, we're forecasting to pay the fighters just from just from royalties and outfitting, almost 20 million dollars, and that's double what we distributed in 2021, and it's Wet. three times what we distributed in the 2016. So and, and right now in, in 2023, we're projecting that that number is probably going to be 25 million. So every single year, you know. We go out and cut these deals that bring in more cash for the fighters
1: every year. Dana, D- Dana, strange question. Has the, the COVID-19 pandemic helped your sport? Has it made it more profitable? Has COVID-19 pandemic helped your sport? Has it made it more profitable? Yeah, because it seems like folks. folks, folks yeah, that's why I'm asking. We
2: went through it. We went through it. We were the only thing on. We were the only thing that you could gamble on. So, you know, lots of people became exposed to the sport. And for me, that, that's 99% of the battle. If I can expose you to this sport, you're never going to watch it and go, oh, I don't ever want to see this again. You know what I mean? Mm. So exposing people to the sport, for the especially live. When you see it live, nobody walks out of a live UFC event and goes, yeah, I don't ever want to see one of these again.
1: What about what we're able to look forward to in the future? I mean, you like you said, you were just in France. Uh, that was a great event, by the way. Um, no doubt about that. Uh, but what else? Where else are you looking to expand to? Where else are you looking to go?
2: Africa. Africa is the next place that I really want to make a big splash. I want to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking to build a performance institute there. We just found the property uh, in Mexico, and mm-hmm. we're going to start breaking ground there very soon. And then uh, the next one will be Africa.
1: Mm, that's great because, listen, I, I think that when you look at guys like Usman, that loss, that was a devastating loss. I'm, I'm looking at Ngannou. I think that he's everything, uh, 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 you know, to me, in a pugilistic sport you're aspiring for. Because even though, listen, MMA, UFC, phenomenal, fabulous, the whole bit. The knockout is the knockout. Nothing's better than the knockout, Dana. Are we, are, are we going to debate that? Nothing's better than the knockout. I agree. Everybody loves the knockout. But, but on the flip side... If you're a big fan of MMA, some, some awesome submissions are fun too. Okay, okay. You got me there. I'll give that to you. Before I let you get on out of here, just a couple of more questions. First of all, as you reflect on all the things that you said, your persona, what you've established, everybody knows who you are. They know you're no nonsense, no, bu- no bullshit. You're going to say what needs to be said, when you want to say it, how you want to say it. Have Has Dana White ever found himself in a situation where he said, I kind of regret that. I should have been nicer.
2: (laughs) I don't think I ever regretted not being nice. Um, I've regretted a couple things that I've said in the past. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think as we've gone through the last few years here, I think people are becoming more sensitive. You know, I grew up in the 80s. There were things you said in the 80s that you don't say in 2022. And, you know, I, I think we've all learned from some of our mistakes other than those regrets, no, I, I I don't have many regrets. I don't really have regrets. It, 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 it I I said it, and that's it, and if you don't like it, then too bad.
1: And why do you think that is? Is it because of the way you are, or is it just because you got tired like me of just seeing a whole bunch of phony-ass people, and you can't take it, and uh, you say, you know what, I can't I take it? nothing I hate
2: worse than phonies, man. I, I I hate phonies, and from day one, I was never going to be that guy that comes out and reads some bullshit can statement that a lawyer wrote, Um, you know, it is what it is.
1: With everything that you've accomplished now, I mean, what's next? I know you talked about Africa in terms of where you're going, but when we think about the fighters, the fighters themselves, uh, I, I mean, g- give me I, – I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm really interested in hearing Dana White's, when you think about a top five. Top five guys that are just when you think about the, guy, the the Conor McGregor wannabes in terms of star attraction. That's what I mean by that, Dana. That's all I mean. Not talk about skill. I'm talking about the Conor McGregor type of attraction. The guys that you think got a chance of pulling something like that off. What would it be? Last Tuesday it happened. Our final
2: episode of the season of the Contender series on ESPN okay. Plus. Right. The show is incredible. Basically, what it is is the greatest unsigned fighters matched up against each other, they fight right there, and I decide who comes into the UFC. There's a kid named Bo Nichols, and this is going to okay. be his second time fighting on the Contender Series. He, <laughs> he looks like he could be a huge star. Um, you know, uh, Raul uh, Rosas Jr., who's 17 years old, youngest guy ever signed in the UFC, just fought last week. He looks awesome, too. I mean... there's such an abundance of talent coming through right now. Um, And and so much younger. I wouldn't even think about signing a guy if he wasn't 26 or 27 years old Mm -hmm. five years ago. I just signed a 17-year-old kid. His parents had to give him permission. Um, Mm. He's that good, huh? Last week. He's that good. Oh, yeah. The way this kid composed himself in this fight, uh, the opponent that he fought and how he did against him, um, man strength versus, versus boy strength, I mean, just everything about this kid uh, was impressive.
1: The Conor McGregor's, the, the mega med offs are we going to see them again?
2: Uh, will we see? No, we won't see Habib. You'll see him in the corner. Uh, you'll see Conor fighting again hopefully next year. You think he's going to fight again?
1: You yeah, think he's he going to be ready? How much do you think the boxing match against Floyd Mayweather that paid him $100 million, how much do you think that's hurt him? Um, it did, definitely didn't hurt him. Uh,
2: okay. it, it, it hurt us because you know he's rolling around in a, in a in a cruise ship somewhere. Uh, but other you know once you make that kind of money, it's it's hard to stay hungry and focused and everything else. And plus he's got kids now, and you just you get into another chapter of your life, and that's where Connor is. Um, you know I I, I his leg's gonna heal here 100 percent pretty soon, and I I think you'll see him coming back next year.
1: I don't know whether Joe Rogan, my last question to you is this. I don't know whether Joe Rogan meant this when he said it one day, but but he talked about how he thinks you, I mean, maybe it's because your attitude or whatever. Again, I love it, but he, and I think he loves it too, but he was talking about, he doesn't know if you got CTE, you got brain damage or something because you speak your mind so damn often. I'm going to ask you this question to close this out, Dana White. In five years from now, what do you expect we'll be saying about you? What do you hope we'll be saying about you? I don't care what you
2: say about me. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah, as long what as I'm straight young, up. As long as I'm probably, straight up. You're right, I
1: probably do have CTE. <laughs> <laughs> Dana White, man, I appreciate you so much, man. Thanks for giving me this time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for everything, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing the UFC down the road. You're doing a phenomenal job, man. Keep up the great work, my boy. Congrats buddy. on your new podcast. Keep kicking ass, my friend. You know it. Thanks a lot, buddy.
3: Bye bye. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? I
1: loved, absolutely loved listening to Dana White. Thanks him again. Thank you so much, Dana, for all the time that you gave me today. Uh, Really, really appreciate it. Love the relationship that we have. And he's absolutely right. We get along. We talk privately a lot of times. And he's always been there for me. He's always picked up the phone. You all right. Everything's good. When people try to come at me or what have you, he knows I don't give a damn, but he just checks to make sure I continue to not give a damn. There's lines that I'm not going to cross. Lines of decorum, lines of professionalism and what have you, because that comes with the world of business. And I'm one of those guys. Although I do have a tendency to be perceived as a disruptor and I actually pride myself on being uh, or veering rather away from conventional behavior because I don't think that's always the way to go. In the same breath, I'm mindful of the lives that even somebody like Stephen A. Smith is capable of inspiring when you got young cats on the come up. Although you want to be a disruptor, you don't want to give the impression that you get to make your own rules, doing what the hell you want to do, when the hell you want to do it, how the hell you want to do it, while you got your hand out for somebody else's money. It don't work that way. That's not the real world. It's impractical and it'll probably lead you down a dead end road. But please understand, that's not what happened with Dana White. That's not what happened with the multitude of names that I've mentioned throughout the years. Throughout this show, I apologize. You had some people. That even though they were unconventional in their thinking and their actions still came across as conventional to some of the people they needed to in order to get to the point that they needed to get to. Adjustments, modifications and alterations, even capitulation from time to time is necessary. That doesn't mean you're not a disruptor. It means that you're versatile enough. To know when not to be conventional and when to be conventional in order to get things done. You think Dana White gets to do everything he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, however the hell he please, while he's in business with ESPN or William Morris Endeavor? I can assure you that's not the truth. He gets a lot of what he wants, not everything. Stephen A., I get a lot of what I want, not everything. Barack Obama got a lot of what he wanted, not everything. Trump tried to get everything. Where did that get him? Elon Musk tried to get a lot of stuff. Remember the whole issue with him trying to purchase Twitter? Now that's an issue. Don't think that you're always going to get everything you want. But in pursuit of it, at times you've got to be willing to be a disruptor. To take chances, to veer away from the status quo. It's happened everywhere we look. Society has taught us disruptors at times make us better it makes us more cognizant and aware of the things that we need to be aware of the challenges that lie in wait and what we may need to do to overcome them sports business the tech industry politics it doesn't matter you go along and follow the same path as everybody else you know what you're doing you're standing in line And there's a whole bunch of people standing ahead of you that beat you to it, which means your path to prosperity is going to be made to be that much more difficult. It's like going to a nightclub, y'all. And you hyped because this club is thumping. And they might have an entertainer there that you absolutely love. And you pull up and the damn line is two blocks long. Because it's so crowded up in there. People beat you to it. But if you had a vision. And a right mindset. And you were disruptive enough to be conspicuous enough where you stood out above the crowd. Guess what? You might have got there early enough. Or even if you got there a little bit later, you might not have had to stand in line at all. I tell this to people all the time. I've told this to people who work under me. When folks are sitting there griping and complaining and going through stuff from time to time. Just like at ESPN and other places that I've worked throughout my career. You know what I've told? You know what I've religiously told people? If everybody was you, you wouldn't be special. You have to understand that there are people who are not going to compare and are not going to measure up to you. Very rarely. Are those people just conventional individuals that go along to get along to do the same thing that everybody else is doing without taking chances, without betting on themselves and without willing to be a tad bit disruptive in their pursuit of excellence? Who are you going to be? What are you determined to be? Dana White's winning. The brother went from being an aspiring boxer to an aspiring boxing promoter. To the head man in charge of a sports industry that's worth over nine billion dollars. They've usurped boxing as far as I'm concerned, at least in America. Boxing might be bigger worldwide, but they've usurped it here in America. We can't deny that. You know why? Because Dana White gives you the fights that you want to see when you want to see them. We're not at the mercy of boxing promoters making us wait four five and six years for fights that we should have saw five, we seen four or five or six years earlier. Dana White is like, get your ass in that octagon. You want, it, you want this money? Do it. That's what it's all about. I've known Mark Shapiro for years. I can tell you he's that way. I can promise you that. Mark Shapiro ain't trying to hear no for an answer. And he ain't trying to lose. And neither is his boss. The founder of the Endeavor AG, one and only Ari Emanuel. That's a big-time brother himself, you know. Go and Google him. Go Google him. I'm telling you what I know. Musk speaks for itself. Muhammad Ali spoke for himself. Mark Cuban, Shark Tank fame, spoke for himself. Steve Jobs, remember that man, Apple? He spoke for himself. Ladies and gentlemen, one thing success has taught me. And I still got a long way to go to achieve what most of those individuals have achieved. And I may never achieve what they've achieved. Like we talk of billions. But I ain't poor. And broke. And that's not to knock anybody else who is. The only people that I'm knocking are those who don't try. This ain't a world for those who wilt beneath pressure and to give up at the drop of a hat. This is a world that finds a way to reward those who are continuously on their grind. Who are you going to be? What are you made of? What intestinal fortitude do you have in your soul? What kind of mercy do you deserve? If you're so willing to give up so easy. All the dudes I mentioned, all the dudes that I talked about, and especially the man I just interviewed, they weren't about that life. They ain't about that life now. And the likelihood is that they'll never be. If you didn't get that from Dana White. You were listening to this interview. But you didn't hear a damn thing. I sincerely hope that's not the case. I believe it's not. And I'm going to leave it at that. I thank y'all, as always, for listening to my latest podcast. I hope you'll continue to listen to me. I'm coming at you three times a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm not going to stop y'all. Stephen A., why are you doing three three shows a week? Because I can, damn it. And because I want to. Because I'm hungry for knowledge, and I'm hungry to share it. And then some. Like I told y'all last week, my first week, I'm just getting started. I got a lot more to give. So stay tuned. Keep staying tuned. And remember, yeah, I do sports. But you don't have to know sports to know mercy. Stephen A signing off. Holler at y'all later. Until next time, peace and love.